the conversation starts with really understanding what do they want to accomplish? What are the business outcomes for that particular client? And it does vary by industry. There are different industry pressures going on around the globe, whether it's regulation and banking, the advent of technology and mobile and Internet of Things and touchless and know your customer. There's so many things happening all at once and converging in the bank. Welcome to another episode of Pioneers of Possible, the show that connects you with the futurists, leaders, dreamers, and builders who have reshaped what's possible in the worlds of business and technology. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host and fellow technologist. Today, I have the pleasure of having Ellie Hurst in the studio with me. Hi, Ellie. How are you? Great, Des. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. And as I said to you earlier, it's around about eight o'clock in the morning here in Sydney. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's warm. Uh, but I imagine it's a little bit cooler at your end in the U.S. Actually, it is. We are having a cold wave here in Florida. And uh, it was. we woke up to about 50 degrees Fahrenheit this morning, which has all the Floridians running for sweatshirts and coats. So it's, it's actually quite humorous. <laughs> it feels great. That's pretty funny. I, my better half's in London at the moment, so she's come out of about 27 degrees uh, centigrade to uh, about one or two degrees and freezing. So we're, I think on the planet, we've got a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on in weather. Now, just to quickly introduce you, um, so you're the Vice President of Global Automation at IBM Global Business Services, or GBS. Um, you've, you've had 24 years at IBM, so that's an amazing background. Could you maybe just give us a little bit of insight, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your role at IBM? Sure. Um, I, so as you said, I've been with IBM for 24 years, which I was always one of those people when I first came to IBM and someone said that 20, 25, 30 years, I thought, wow, they're really old. <laughs> and now that's me. <laughs> I hear it coming out of my mouth and thought, how did that happen? Um, but it's been a great experience. I actually came into IBM from Pricewaterhouse Consulting, believe it or not, before we acquired PW. Okay. And so I had, I had about six years of consulting experience coming in, management consulting. And I joined the team here doing enterprise applications, doing uh, business process consulting. And from there, I'll just give you the, the quick overview. My career has formed many paths in IBM, from continuing to deliver consulting services to running parts of the business in our solutioning to doing strategy work as part of our global technology services team across our industrial sector to coming full circle and working in application management in sales and delivery. So a little bit of everything, which quite honestly is one of the reasons I came to IBM in the first place. Yeah, I think everybody I've known in IBM, uh, that's exactly what they say. They, you know, the, the, the attraction more than the, the, the size and scale and the strength of the business is just the breadth of, of reach that you have that, you know, every day is a whole new fun challenge and that uh, you get to sort of, you know, push yourself on a whole bunch of boundaries. Now, I understand that uh, let's get to know you a little bit personally first before we dive into your role, if you don't mind. Uh, Background-wise, I understand your father was a professor in hospitality and management. Is that where you probably got some of your early passion work in this space around the whole service industry, particularly in IT? Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. And you know, first and foremost, um, my, my father was a restaurateur, so he has had a restaurant in the Fort Lauderdale area 
and in other parts of the U.S. Uh, earlier on. So he was in the restaurant business all of his career. And as an expansion of that, he was one of those passionate, uh, live your career, you know, the whole end-to-end um, just passion about his life is his career, right, or career is his life. And so growing up in the restaurant business, I watched my father not only run the restaurant from the front door, but also he expanded into being a professor at Florida International University, and then he was an international speaker, a consultant. He actually did a lot of work in Australia and New Zealand back uh, many moons ago, so he traveled the world in the capacity of consultant all around the restaurant business. So given that background and growing up in a services business, and of course from the moment <laughs> any of my brothers and sisters and I could walk, we were working in the restaurant or doing something in the business um, it, it just gave me a passion to not only be part of the services industry overall, but also gave me the his push personally to not just do one thing. Right. So always be thinking about something else and expanding what you're doing into to multiple areas. It's interesting you say that because it, I, you're absolutely right about you know I, I I see that every single day now. In fact, I had this view that um, when you think of the disruptions that we've got coming through, often I have very exhausted emotionally and physically uh, exhausted executives, particularly in the boardroom, and I'm sure you see this, where people say to me, look, where do we start? You know, and, I'm, and I sort of look at them as if like, well, which bit? And they're like, all of it. You know, we've got cloud disrupting us. We've got big data disrupting us. We've got analytics and the list goes on. AI, cognitive, IoT, cyber risk, cybersecurity, smart cities, smart infrastructure, automation, robotic process automation, and the list goes on. And about 10 minutes later, they're, they're, they're exasperated and breathless and they're like, look, I'm just exhausted telling you about it. And so I turn around and say, well, look at it like this. You're, you're, you're having to sprint just to keep up. That's, that's not a lot of fun but you're also being expected to sprint in multiple lanes all at the same time. That's exhausting. So you've got to pick your battles. You've got to find the right business partners and you've got to count on them because you're not going to be able to be everything to everyone. So you can't be gods of cloud, gods of big data, gods of analytics. And I guess that leads very much nicely into kind of learning more about your role around this whole thing of global automation inside IBM's uh, Global Business Services Group. I often see a scenario where I'm, I'm talking to executives and they are just exhausted both physically and emotionally. And so they run the scenario past me and they say, look, you know, we don't know where to start. You know, we, we are being disrupted on so many levels and so many fronts all at the same time. And so I sort of I listen to them talk about it for like you know, up to eight to ten minutes and they talk about you know, we're being disrupted by cloud, big data, IoT, analytics, cyber risks, cybersecurity, smart infrastructure, automation, smart cities, uh, robotic process automation, and it goes on, right? And they're, and they're, they're almost sweating by the time they finish telling me about it. <laughs> you know, and I feel really bad for them, but then I say, look, you know, here's, how, here's how I see it, right? Um, and there's two components to it. The first part is, yes, we've got to realize that we are having to sprint just to keep up. That's a reality check. But the difficulty is we're having to sprint in multiple lanes all at the same time, and that's exhausting. And so you can't do that yourselves. You can't be everything to everyone. You can't be the gods of cloud. You can't be the gods of big data and the gods of analytics and so forth. What you've got to do is you've got to pick the battles that you've got the strengths on. So you might have some great developers in cloud, but you have no skills in big data analytics or automation. And you've got to reach out to the market and find the right partners, the right business partners. And then you've got to kind of almost, uh, you know, not so much bank on them, but trust them and empower them to, to kind of help you do great things. And, um, and all of a sudden, I see this light bulb go on. You know, there's like a sense of relief. And I'm sure you have a, a similar experience when 
where you walk into a boardroom or, or, or a meeting in general and people look to you and they sort of expect you to do this, you know, what I call uh, uh, performing Jedi mind tricks with a whiteboard marker in 60 <laughs> seconds, right? Um, you know, here's our problem. Tell us how we're going to solve it. Um, is that the kind of experience you see where you walk into a, an organization from day one and they're just exhausted and exasperated and they're looking to you to empower you and entrust you in your role around global automation inside IBM's Global Business Services Group say, what can you do for us? Where can you help us? Because we're just, we're exhausted. We're tired. Absolutely. You, you've hit it again, spot on. And the way the conversation starts with really understanding what do they want to accomplish? What are the business outcomes for that particular client? And it does vary by industry. There are different industry pressures going on around the globe, whether it's in banking, the, the, um, regulation and banking, the advent of technology and mobile and Internet of Things and touchless and know your customer. There's so many things happening all at once and converging in the banking industry. Very different than consumer products, very different than an automotive company. But at the end of the day, what's important from a business outcomes perspective and then how do we line priorities? So there's always the um, the initial questions on, and how quickly can I get my return? And how much return? And what's it going to cost? But what's the benefit? So we want to focus on the benefit and what's the ROI and what's the short to medium term. Things are moving so quickly that the time element is just as important as the outcome. Right? right. So back in the old days, way back in the old days, where you could do a systems integration technology project, it could be years that you, this could go on. The, we're talking about months now. We're talking about a quarter or two quarters. So it's really critical uh, it, for me to have the conversation and to be prepared from an industry perspective to show what the art of the possible is and then to outline what it will take to get there. And the outline is around not just the technology that it takes to get there. To me, that's table stakes. And it's critically important. And I work for a technology company, and it is absolutely fundamental to everything that we do. But the process and specifically the people element, it's, it's age-old consulting 101 that I've been doing forever, and that is the people process and technology. Right. And having those three working together is just absolutely paramount. It's, it's interesting you say that because uh, you're, uh, I, I probably repeat myself on this many times when I talk to people, but I come back to exactly that key point. Doesn't matter whether it's a massive event like in IBM's case, you know, Interconnect or uh, World of Watson or whatever the case might be. Um, in fact, when Ginny Rometty was speaking recently at Interconnect for, for the better part of what was nearly two hours and she had everyone riveted, we were sitting on the edge of our seats. And what was interesting was there are a lot of uh, business and technical people there just absolutely focused and listening on every word, hanging on every word she's saying. And I came away and someone said, you know, what, what was your take? And I said, you know, there was something really interesting that I took away from this. Not once did she focus on the technology and very little was there a focus on the business component that was a given. She focused on humanities, on music, on travel, on automation, on people. And uh, I think what you've just said is very telling as well. And that is if you focus on that whole people process, et cetera, uh, particularly what you talked about a moment ago, focusing on the outcomes, you know, that people talk about ROIs quite often. I'm sure you see in the consulting business, as you say, the, the consulting one-on-one, people want to get a business return. They want to get some value return. But often they lose sight of why they're getting, aiming for that value. What's the outcome that you're going to drive from that? You know, getting a widget at 10% less may not necessarily be a good thing, 
uh, I've always had this view that, you know, the race to zero in price often is a race to zero in value. Uh, and that's not always a good thing either. Um, do you find that, uh, I mean, you've had a lifetime of this, so I'm keen to get your insight. You know, do you find that if you can get people to think about the whole concept of creating value, that invariably money follows value? So if you can get people in the organization thinking about where the value creation is and where they can gain benefits from automation in particular, uh, that they get a better outcome than just purely focusing on just the dollars? Yes, absolutely. So it started, now the, the whole automation movement, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but um, this whole this whole focus now on automation started with a cost play. And we still have many clients asking for the cost play. But quite honestly, it moved to value extremely quickly. And what I mean by that is exactly what you're talking about. It Yes, there's some cost efficiencies, absolutely. But there's also the quality and the value that comes from the speed at which you can now perform a business process with high quality, whether it's a, it can be a simple process like doing a cognitive compare on contracts in a law firm, where there's a lot of time that's spent transcribing from version to version on a contract. And there's a lot of things that can happen, as you can imagine, when you're transcribing, if a person is transcribing that. So cognitive compare, making sure that everything is the same as it goes from version to version is critical. Yeah. That saves a lot. It not only saves time, but the quality that results in that is paramount as well. So the value that's created by applying automation technology into a business process, whether it's a business or IT operations type of process, is really important. And I guess one of the things that uh, I see is, uh, and I'm keen to get your insights into this, is there's a, a certain level of concern or in some cases panic that robots are going to take our jobs and uh i watch this closely because i'm always interested that you know when 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 henry ford automated the process of manufacturing a car to a point where instead of just randomly putting bits together there was a a, a whole mechanism from end to end in this this mechanic you know i guess <clears throat> excuse me manufacturing process people didn't lose jobs people gained more jobs there were more jobs to be had and so I see that happening in, in everything from robotic process automation, from, as you said, the, you know, cognitive analytics being applied to things like contracts, and, uh, uh, analytics, getting insights, dashboards. We're not, we're not really seeing people lose jobs. What we're seeing is a transition of the type of job they're doing. So you're not, you're not having people lose their minds transcribing, doing word-for-word comparisons. They're now looking for the outliers, for the, for the differences. And they're, um, I guess, you know, doing that last mile component that we haven't yet automated. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that goes back to the people side. So the impact, so we talk about business outcomes and business value. You think about what that means in terms of the the impact to not only the business, but to the people that are performing work in the business. So how people work, how they interact with the technology, with automation that's being brought in, with how they are helping to bring the automation in, what skills do they need, what training, what kind of education, how do we change the workforce and what we call a digital workforce strategy to say this is what the our human element of our worker working population will do versus the what the technology will do and how they interact. So it's a lot different to sit down and talk to someone about what they do and to be able to outline how automation can help them do their job. Think of if someone's talking to you and they're getting information to determine how to automate pieces of what you do. Yes, that's a scary thing. Yeah. But if they're talking to you and they're they're 
designing a digital assistant and you are helping to design your own digital assistant or it's a whole different conversation versus I'm going to design a robot to replace you. And what we're really talking about is this assisting. It's the human assistance in terms of, of how we take automation forward in the workforce. So yes, people will be impacted and their jobs will change. But quite honestly, it's freeing up more innovation and more interesting projects for people to work on. All of the work that you have off to the side that you'd love to get to the time to do one of these days, we're actually going to free up time to do it. I, I'm always careful as well when, when I'm talking to people. There's obvious, uh, often a negative connotation around certain words, and, and you mentioned the word impact there. And, and I think historically when, when uh, HR departments or what we now call human capital management, which is kind of dehumanized it a bit in my view, when we talk about impact, <clears throat> people often have had a, an experience where impact has been negative because it's changed their job or they've moved them somewhere else and it hasn't always worked out well for them. But I tend to now throw this back on the table and say, well, let's talk about that language. When we talk about impact, when we talk about change, um, it's not a negative connotation. It's positive. When we get, when we bring impact in from you know in your world around the whole global automation component, you know robotic process automation, the impact that I like people to focus on is you're going to be doing the fun bits, all the messy stuff, all the, all of that laborious uh, uh, dehumanizing component. Instead of having to compare column after column on a spreadsheet, we can build a system to do that, and you just get to make the smart decisions around you know in many ways uh, data driven decisions if you like. And it's interesting to see people's eyes light up again when they go, oh, okay, so impact isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm like, no, if we can positively impact your world, we will definitely do that. No one's in the, in the job of making anyone's life miserable in this space. Uh, and I'm sure that's a big part of your challenge as well, is to convey that, that positive aspect of well, the, not just the business benefits, but also the, the, the flow on value impact that, you know, I'm going to jump out of bed and want to get to work if I'm curating that last mile and I'm having fun putting my brain to good use. I mean, you know, in your case, you've got an MBA in operations management. I'm sure you put that to use every day. If somebody right. said, you know, I'm going to make your life better and let you put that MBA to good use, you would leap at it as opposed to, oh, I'm going to impact your world, right? Right, right. And so it's all about taking it to the positive. It's that glass half full, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've done, I've worked with clients where we've got point solutions, so very specific points, um, solutions that we've brought in and it's been great. Okay. 40% in efficiency, but the key part was there was 95% increase in employee satisfaction for our client. Right. So to me, that's a great business case as far as this positive impact. So the key here is getting the buy-in and engaging the teams that are going to be impacted in this as part of the solution, not as something that's going to be done to them. And that's a big element of that people side, the transformation that has to start day one when you're on an automation journey. And a lot of our clients talking about going back into the boardroom and talking about that, that's where beyond the technology, that's where a lot of the conversation resides in how are we going to do a change management transformation program along with the technology that's coming in and along with looking at how the processes will change. What? With that in mind, uh, I'm really keen to get you to tell us a bit more about what you're seeing with regard to the biggest disruption. So when you look across an organization that you work with, from the front door to the warehouse, as it were, as you walk through the organization, where are you seeing some of these biggest disruptions? And, and I guess, you know, focusing on the positive, uh, 
what are some of the biggest uh, gains that you're seeing people uh, see automation um, you know, give them and, and where are they leveraging that? How are they applying that? Where are you seeing some of the biggest disruptions being put in play with what you're doing with some of the clients these days? I'd say it's all started in the back office. Right. And that's where, and, and that makes perfect sense, right? In IT operations and in infrastructure management, all of the back office repetitive tasks those that's been a big disruptor. I think we've really only gotten to the tip of the iceberg, quite honestly, so far on that. It's already, though, moving to the front office. So starting from a what we look at in IBM as a component business model from an industry lens and outlining from the very beginning of how a process works, whether it's procurement, whether it's wealth management, um, whatever the vertical is or the horizontal process how does it link end-to-end? And these disruptors, um, in terms of the process component, the client or the customer experience, now we're starting to impact the external world beyond the back office and our clients' customers. And that's huge. So the ecosystem is getting richer and the ecosystem is getting more and more concentric circles is the way I look at it from, yeah. from what it external to a client to now we're starting to impact you know, the overall digital experience and, and how, uh, how work happens within our client and outbound. I like that. I, I, I use that phrase concentric circles a lot as well because I often describe the world as you know, a whole bunch of people spinning around in circles and occasionally overlap. And when the timing's right or if you've got someone like yourself in the room and the influence is right, those concentric circles can sync up and all of a sudden great things can happen. But you can otherwise just spin around in circles and go nowhere. And I think that's a large part of, of what uh, organizations need to start realizing now is that um, now's the time more than ever for them to reach out to the likes of yourself uh, and, and your team across global automation within IBM's uh, GBS to say, hey, look, you know, how can you help us? You know, um, we, we don't have any experience in this. We don't have any background in this. We don't have any SMEs in this space. Um, what does that kind of conversation look like? If someone's reaching out to you and, and, and you know, where do you start that? Where do you start the conversation saying, well, we, you know, um, whether it's at the back office and, and, and we bring it through the front office, um, how do those conversations start as far as, you know, companies reaching out to you and sort of just laying it on the table? Because not everyone's comfortable saying that they can't do something. Sure. It typically starts, if it's a reach out to us, it typically starts with a specific area. And going back to your comments on all of these disruptors are bombarding our clients, there's typically something that our clients have grabbed and said, we want to do robotic process automation, and can you come and do it for us? We're not sure where to start. Right. And having So that's, that's the inbound conversation. Now, how we turn that conversation and how we talk to our clients that we've been working with for some time in the automation space is say, we need to take that step back. We need to go to the golf course, Des, and talk about the strategy. <laughs> I like talk it. Talk about the strategy because the strategy, you have to have a roadmap. And for me, global automation is all about, it, it really is a journey. I know that's a trite, sounds could be sounding trite, but it really is a journey because it's not going to happen overnight. And the technology is changing so much on a, on a daily basis. Again, this is a speed yeah. of light and acceleration that if you have your journey mapped out, you're going to course correct as technology changes, but there's fundamental decisions that you make in terms of technology, absolutely, but also how are you going to align your processes? What what are you really looking for? Let's go back to the business value and the outcome. And then let's go back to how does that impact your client base? How does that impact your employee base? So, So laying that out, and I'm not talking about six months worth of strategy, 
a rapid view, a business case strategy and outline that's constantly updated in an agile manner as you go through the, the journey, as technology changes, as the business changes, as you gain the business value, you may reprioritize moving forward into another area. There might be deregulation that comes up. So, so being able to flex and adapt in an agile manner is not something that typically that uh, business executives are thinking of in terms of strategy. Typically, that strategy is three to five years. Well, it, that's changed. It's a much shorter version um, and, and much more agile view of a strategy. It's very much that fail and fail fast concept that uh, the world's trying to uh, trend to that, you know, try a number of things and focus on what works and what doesn't work. And I remember seeing uh, something you read some t- uh, you wrote some time ago, and I think it was on your LinkedIn uh, influencer blog that you specifically used a phrase that I liked, which is intelligent automation, as opposed to just, uh, you know, thinking about robotic process automation isn't, isn't really a romantic phrase. It seems really mechanical. But when you think about intelligent automation, it kind of really brings it, it back to home. Well, we've got some great insights on you personally, some great insights in your role and, and the value proposition of global automation. But before we wrap up, I would love to give you a fun challenge. And uh, this is where I, I like to kind of plan my favorite pun and hand you a crystal ball and ask you uh, what's in the horizon. So whether it's the next 12, 18 months uh, in the short term or whether it's the next three to five years, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball now and, and for you to gaze into that for a moment, um, what do you see coming over the horizon the next sort of, you know, whether it's 18 to 12 or 12 to 18 months in the short term or longer term, three to five years? Where are the big ideas and the big trends going to be around that whole uh, global automation space that you play in? I see this. <laughs> I love the pun. Um, there's, I, I see a convergence. If I had my crystal ball in 12 to eight months, a convergence of all of the technologies already coming together, whether it's Internet of Things cloud, social, mobile, all of the pieces are are starting to connect, in some cases stronger than others. But I see this convergence in the way, the way we look at it at IBM and what I've been most intimately involved in recently is it's at the enterprise level. So all of the pieces in the ease of plug and play, if you will, lights out. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of terms that have been thrown out for a number of years, but to really make those a reality, it's it's coming to fruition in the next 12 to 18 months. This whole self-healing lights out, um, bringing your your being able to be out of the office and run your business via mobile. And I know we can do a lot of that today, but the ease at which you can do that and the ease at which you can um, have an integrated view of what's happening in your business and being able to react very quickly and set the whole chain in motion and in blockchain, for example. Yeah. Um, all of these pieces converging is it's a lot of technology to come together, but it's coming so rapidly that I can see that within 18 months, maybe maybe two years. I like that. Well, that's an amazing uh, thought to wrap up on. Uh, Ellie, thanks so much for catching up with us today. All right. Thank you, Des. It was great.